back. Episode six. Here we are. Episode six, baby. We're here. We got a special guest. We've had her before. We're having her again. The great Fanny RK. Um, yeah, we had Fanny on season one. Um, I can't remember what episode it was. Is when we were still in the Eden Center. Fanny is a amazing strategist that we all used to work uh, with. We all used to work together. Um, Fanny, do you want to just tell people what you're doing now? Just a short, brief, brief summary. Yeah, I am a brand strategist at an agency called Conflict. We are three years old, and that is what I do. And a little bit of stand-up comedy. And I do stand-up comedy as well. There you go. Um, so we're all, I guess, now it's been maybe a month and a little bit of quarantine. Almost a month and a half, I think. Jesus. For all of you guys? Yeah, I know. It's crazy. Um, I think what is really great that we can do with this show is kind of just like continuously give that update. Um, as I mentioned last episode, so when we come back, like years from now, you can get that kind of progression as to how things were when they were getting better and just painting that picture as to kind of where we are in society. Um, so now at this point, you know, we're starting to see some cities around the world um, start to kind of test out a bit of a phased approach of letting down the lockdown um, and starting to opening up certain services. I know we're definitely far from going back to whatever normal was before, but it's a little bit of a light at the end of the tunnel to see that, you know, um, some places are, are reopening. So um, in Wuhan, China, where this all began, um, I believe they got down of lockdown completely. Um, places in the States, they're starting to kind of reopen and, and test out that strategy. But there's a lot of things that are now in place that I'm wondering, you know, will they be the norm moving forward? So a few examples, um, restaurants in Wuhan, they now have this plexiglass, like in uh, plexiglass on the table so that there isn't that, you know, um, spread of the virus of someone sitting across from you, um, limiting the number of people in stores and having people do temperature checks, both the customers and the employees, um, contactless payment becoming more of a thing so that you don't have to, you know, touch the, um, the interact kind of machine. Um, and then just different like social distancing measures. So if you're at, if you're at checkout, you know, there's like that six feet of distance. Um, and it's kind of like marked on the floor as to where you can stand. So obviously it's very dramatic. It's very needed at this point, but I'm wondering, do you guys see any of those things like still sticking around, let's say like six months from now? I well, I mean, so. from I, my perspective, sorry, Fanny, go ahead. Oh, yeah, I just, I think so. I think this is going to, like, permanently be ingrained in our, in our, like, habits to want to just avoid physical contact, at least for, like, a good year or two. Yeah, I think that, like, it's kind of interesting because we're talking about six months down the road from now and like places are starting to reopen, but like, what does that actually mean? I know there's a lot of places in the United States that are like in a lot of trouble because a lot of people are sick and a lot of people are still like dying because of this. So I worry a little bit by, you know, getting excited about the fact that some things might be opening up or like mm -hmm. we're taking a phased approach this early when there's still very much a, a serious concern at, at play right now. You know what I mean? So it'll be interesting to see how this stuff progresses, but it's nice to know that kind of like where this whole thing came from, like they're actually starting to be able to control and then adapt accordingly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, hundred percent. And it's like, even in um, 
places around the world like even in Ontario they're doing like this uh protest at Queen's Park um, <laughs> to get rid of the lockdown which is like guys relax like it's still pretty bad here you know <laughs> yeah. what do you can we talk about that for a second like because for me you know I can't imagine that there is a human being, no matter how low their IQ, I can't imagine that there's a human being who knows the information for real, the truth about the number of cases, the impact this is having on like frontline workers and like the healthcare system. Shout out Frontline Fund, by the way, if you want to support frontline workers, go to frontlinefund.ca. We recently worked with them to do the design system and campaign. Okay. Um, But someone who knows... (laughs) If you have full access to the information about how serious this shit is and you're protesting it, I can't imagine that. So I can only imagine that the people protesting, granted there was only like 12 of them, but like, are they just not getting the news? Like, what do you guys honestly think is going through the mind of someone doing that? Uh, from, yeah, I was going to say, honestly, I don't know. And, and from my own opinion, I guess, from where this stands is like, I think it's probably coming from like a place of fear uh, to your point, Fang, like there's really no like information that's properly being delivered to these people or like they're not uh, receiving the information, like actual information um, the way that I guess that they probably should. So like probably deep down inside these people are, is just like, Oh my God, the government is telling me, that I need to stay inside and I need to do this. Oh my God. Does that mean that like I'm a sheep in a population of sheeps as well? Like, Oh, what do I do? So like my natural instinct is to just like rebel against this and say, no, no one can really control me when I I mean, I guess they're just not truly understanding the severity of the situation like this by like doing some, doing an act like protesting. You know what I mean? Like it just, there's no rationality behind like what they're doing. Um, it's probably just based out of like fear and emotion. Right. What about you? Yeah. Yeah. I would say it's just uh, to jump off what you were saying. It's a combination of people that have, you know, a problem with authority. So they never had to, they were never really kind of told what to do. They might be in this situation of privilege and people that are also selfish. You know, they're thinking that, me and my family are good. We haven't gotten it. None of our neighbors, none of our friends have gotten it. We're fine. We can go to the park. We can hang out. We can do whatever. Right. You know, and it's right. only until one someone in their network becomes very ill that they start to maybe realize that this is, oh, this is like, this is crazy, you know? But until that right. moment, everything is good. Like, you know? I saw a funny where it was like, like the people who are like protesting all this stuff are the ones who are like, hoarding all the stuff so that like when the government tells them or comes to take away their stuff that they're like prepared for you know the the takeover or whatever and then these are the same people who are just like freaking out and like not being able to be contained in their own like living space i just find that kind of ironic you're right though that it's totally just you're right it's the anti-government mentality yeah or or anti anti like like government having power (laughs) even though it's so obviously in the public interest, but right. It's not a myth. Like it's like people who are like acting like there was a video that I saw on the stage. I think Dak, you sent it to me yesterday where like, yeah, yeah. cough on me, cough on me. I was just like, what <laughs> bro, like you guys have out of your goddamn mind. 
It is, it is a reminder that we live in a time where everything is politicized. Like, Mm. and I think that's part of this culture of like, whatever you want to call it, spectacle culture, call out culture, you know, ego culture where like everyone has their own, feels very entitled to their own kind of like their, their opinions and their feelings being super fucking important and like, everyone's yeah. allowed to have a perspective and a brand that's of equal, you know, value to the world and stuff like that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's really interesting. And I mean, we all work in advertising and marketing, so I feel like we obviously need to talk about um, how this is going to impact, you know, like advertising. Like me and Malik for the past few episodes, we've talked about, you know, brands all shooting the same message during COVID and, and things of that nature. But I wonder like how like when things start to evolve and things start to reopen and things like that, like how do we see marketing change? Like how do we see that communication shift between, I guess, like if you have a retail location, you need to start communicating the health and safety measures. And maybe that goes into the advertising that that you push out. But I'm just curious what everyone's thoughts are kind of on just like how marketing will start to evolve. Manny, we'll let you go first. Nice. Yeah. I'm like, you should call on someone, (laughs) be a teacher. (laughs) My hand is up. Um, Yeah, I think so. Totally. It it really seems like the pressure is going to be on brands to, um, to just be more authentic because, um, or, or rather the tolerance will be lower across the board, I think for, bullshit or things that are not relevant to the interests of people it's like if everyone has felt like they've made this sacrifice you know we've all sacrificed something some way more than others but nobody has not sacrificed at this time and so there's definitely a feeling of uh you know like a lower tolerance for being exploited i think there's you know we are we see we see the polls we know that in general, consumers are relatively skeptical of brands and advertising, or at least they, you know, they claim to be. Um, yeah, yeah. And I think that that attitude is going to be driven up, and the tolerance will be driven down, given the feeling of like I've been through some shit, and now you're going to treat like you're going to because advertising is often very condescending. I think that's really apparent in like all, a lot of the COVID advertising brands seem extra condescending. So I think. It's going to be time for advertisers, if you're going to be taking up someone's attention when they're in this kind of state where they're a little tired, they're a little worn out, we've been through some stuff, there's going to be added pressure to really give value back to the consumer, whether that's like by through levity and entertainment. I think people are hungry for, to be entertained, which is awesome and a huge opportunity for you know entertainers and brands alike. And I think people are also really hungry for convenience and utility and value that's going to help them in their lives right so you know my local coffee shop is letting me like order beans for delivery via a little text message it's super easy for me to do um it's it's super kind of them to be bringing it to me i now have affinity for that coffee shop even though i'm not able to physically go there um so i think that's a type of utility that people will really appreciate like help me in my life or make me laugh or make me feel good, but very, very low tolerance for being sold to. Yeah. So, and you know, what, sorry, 
Sorry to cut you off, Dak, but just jumping in on that point, I think it's a really interesting opportunity for like small businesses because those guys aren't being seen as like the bad guys right now. The bad guys are like totally. uh, McDonald's, the Mercedes, the Coca-Cola, like just like your big time players in the game that like, mm-hmm. you know, everyone just, yep, like they exist. They're just a part of society. And now people are starting to see, especially during this time, advertising that is like, we're here for you. We care about you. But it's like, really, what is, uh, you know, what is, you know, or what are, what is Walmart doing to like help me and my family, uh, right now? You know what I mean? Like, it's like totally. absolutely nothing. Yeah. Can we talk about the small business thing for a second? Yeah. Yeah. For sure. I, I think I'm like waiting for like, not a rhetorical question. Um, <laughs> I think, I think it's interesting because I'm seeing in my feeds, a lot of posts of my friends um, drawing attention to small businesses that they love, that they're encouraging people to support. And what's interesting to me is that I, I actually am be, like, I'm receptive to that now. Like the reason I knew I could text that coffee shop is because it was in my friend's story. So I, I find that interesting because in the past, before, uh, you know, global pandemic, um, <laughs> the before times, <laughs> and like, and I worked at Shopify, which is, you know, like all the whole brand purpose and whole company purpose is around supporting small businesses. So like, I obviously believe in it, but I still found it pretty cheesy and corny to be like, support small businesses. Cause I'm like, well, support whatever business is best for you, like small or big, just who's doing the best job. And yeah. often that is a local guy and that's awesome. Um, and they should be given, you know, support and tools to have a fighting chance, but competition is competition, blah, 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 whatever. So when it used to be like, Oh, you should support a small business cause it's ethical. I was like, that's not enough. But for some reason now I'm like, no, 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 that's totally changed because this pandemic is hitting small businesses so much harder because they're not getting built. I mean, they're getting slightly supported, but not nearly as much as like we all know that they deserve. So I think there's something really interesting about that. Yeah. I think that like, you know, I think that's a really great point. I think that, you know, a lot of people are like taking into their own hands right now especially given the circumstance to like support these like smaller businesses and by smaller, I just mean like anything that's not like Walmart or Tim Hortons or any like conglomerates sort of thing. Um, So I think, yeah, I think it's really interesting because like those are the ones that are like actually providing people like alternative ways and services quickly um, to be able to still like access their product. You know what I mean? Like Fanny, you were saying that like you were texting and then you got, you know, coffee or whatever. Right. And I don't think that like bigger companies, like let's say like a Walmart or I'm using Walmart quite a bit. I don't have Walmart, but it's just, it represents the idea that I'm trying to talk about. Um, But sorry, what, what, what is, what is that idea? Because we're, we're saying that these smaller companies are able to move quick and, and adapt, but I'm seeing the same thing from the larger companies as well. Like, well, I think, no, I I guess I'm not understanding. I think we're talking about businesses where the, the owner is mm-hmm. the owners and, or the, the, the day-to-day employees are the ones directly receiving proportionate, um, like profits from their efforts rather yeah. than yeah. larger companies that are inherently and by design, you know, a pyramid where 
or like an inverted pyramid, right? Where the, right, you know, right, right, yeah. Dale and Weston is profiting disproportionately. You could argue from the business that Loblaws is seeing right now, as opposed to those cashiers. Well, gotcha. Yeah, and that's the thing too, right? Because like the people working for that, like are like are are barely making anything, and like they're putting themselves at risk. So I think that like that's sort of like the difference maker, like the like. This is just one example, but like the the owner of the company being directly involved in trying to help uh, you know consumers access their product like quicker, safely, efficiently, and the way that they typically would receive it is a difference between like a CEO just being like, oh, we need to like produce an ad about how we're staying safe and we want people to buy more of our product. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. millions of dollars to do that, and then boom, like yeah. the job is done, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So, so how are think- those brands I'm curious how do we think those brands are able to how do we think those larger companies um, can stay relevant during this time and mm-hmm. like is it their place if is it their like how can they I guess I'm trying to say like mm-hmm. how can they become authentic but I know that's like a, a pretty difficult thing to do but like yeah. how do those brands win is what I'm trying to say I think, and Fanny jump in on this, I think what what you were saying earlier is like, you know, it should be providing either like a quicker or easier way to like, or a different way to access their services Mm -hmm. or be entertained. Like, just don't try and be like something that you're not because the brands that like don't really understand themselves as an identity have a harder time speaking to like mass amounts of people because they're just like, well we don't have like one specific message tailored to me. We just want to make sure that like everyone knows that, you know, we're doing all like the safety precautions and just getting awareness out there that like, Hey, we still exist. Isn't kind of like the, the way that they should be going about it this time. But Fanny, I'll let you speak to that a little bit more. No, I totally agree. And I also think it's an opportunity for companies to, and a lot of them are doing it um, to examine from an operational perspective, what their priorities are. And that will translate to stronger communication opportunities. For example, if you are doing things operationally to keep, and this goes back to your first question about what are we, once things open back up, are we still going to see social distancing suggestions for lineups and stuff? I think a hundred percent because, or plexiglass in front of a cashier, for example, is a way for a, co- a company from an operational perspective to show that they they give a shit about their employees. And I think that's going to start to be, I mean, that's always, you know, CSR and employer brand have always been fundamental pillars of a company's, you know, consumer brand, but like, but they've never been the core one. They've always been sort of supporting for the most part. And I think yeah. we're going to see a greater waiting towards things like that so showing that like every company wants to show their humanity right like their Mm -hmm. brand is always stronger when it's more human like but it's like this is an opportunity to really truly like look at what you can do to make that so and a lot of them are like putting your money where your mouth is to like i don't know try to contribute to making things more fair and equal and and like conscientious and inclusive for for people which I don't know. I'm such an idealist. Like I hear myself saying stuff like this 
And I'm yeah. like, but, but I, I don't know. I, I do really believe in the long run, the brands that do that will be the brands that win because it is, a, it's not just like a nice to have, like it's a sustainable strategy to be, to be respectful of everyone in your ecosystem, which includes your suppliers, your employees, everyone you, you interact with, not just, you know, not just the customer, although that as well. It's, yeah. Um, I think me and Malik have, have talked about in a, a few other episodes that like the treatment of like retail workers and things of that nature is, is really going to dictate which brands I think succeed afterwards because we're not going to forget that, you know, certain companies lo- stayed open way longer than they needed to and put their employees at risk. Yep. Things like that are, you know, are still going to trickle, trickle after, I think. Yeah. And people's bullshit meters are so high right now. Like, mm-hmm. and like, what you know, we we're kind of chatting a little bit about this as we were getting it going. But like, I think that brands putting out messages that are just like, we're here for you. We're, you know, we're staying safe. You know what the first comment uh, comment that you're going to see on like, uh, you know, Instagram ad when like someone like Walmart posts some shit like that, they're going to say like, pay your goddamn employees more and yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Your employees. like, you know what I mean? That, like that just shows that there's a complete disconnect between like, you know, how an, a company thinks it's acting versus a, how a company is actually acting. Okay, but I got to offer one counterpoint to that, even though I obviously agree. Let's go. Um, (laughs) Let's go. (laughs) Counterpoint is, you know, like, let's also acknowledge that coming out of this, we will be in a recession and consumers as a whole will be more price sensitive than they've been in like 15 or when was the last recession? I don't even know what time it's 2008. Yeah. So people are definitely going to have that attitude you described, but are they still going to open up their wallet and be like, the only place I can afford to shop is Walmart? Like, if that happens, is anything really going to change? Thoughts? <laughs> mm. well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just think, no, I, I got no disagree with you at all. Because I think, like, when it comes down to it, you know, people need to be able to get the shit that they need to survive and stuff. So I 100% agree. I just think that like it's a good time for like bigger brands like that to like look within and then really like you know understand who they are and like read these comments like read some of the comments that like your consumers are actually making about your company and your ads and then learn from it and listen and be like you know what you're right we should do this and we should do that and then make active change towards doing something that helps support their employees or the people around them whatever it is because um that can go twofold. You can, you're still getting your, like your customer base coming into your store uh, and buying your stuff, but they also kind of like feel a little bit better about it, knowing that the person behind the cash is like being supported by a company that like actually wants them to do their job the way that they should be. I don't know. That's yeah. yeah. That's on that. No, absolutely. And I think um, like at least what Fanny was saying or, or what I took from it was that, a lot of these companies, like once you reach that conglomerate status, it's like they don't really need to, you know? And the the why why I'm saying that is because after this is all over, people are still gonna shop at Walmart no matter how bad they treated their employees. Yeah. Because it's cheap and it's accessible. So I think that Walmart CEO CEO, and I don't know who he is, I don't know what he's like, but he's probably thinking, you know. I can move the needle a bit and pay them a little bit more, but I don't really need to do that much. You know, we're, we're good. Well, we're always going to be good. It's a man. 
Yeah, wow, come on, bro. Wow. <laughs> I believe it's a family. A female dictator. <laughs> People like you that are no, I'm just kidding. I quit. I quit. <laughs> Wait though. <laughs> Wait, I have a I have a thought. Yeah. Um I think this, so we're talking about um what are the opportunities for for companies and brands, I guess, broadly. And like include whether, you know, small and big. I think there's this shift. So I'm thinking about in terms of like what you focus on offering consumers, like I think we've all, we've all had to become more self-sufficient. Like you see people making their own bread and all that stuff. And it's like, maybe that will stick around a little bit. And that, that has big implications on supply chain stuff or like not even supply chain, but just like the nature of what verticals and products are going to do really well so it's like if we all start if if buying groceries for example is like you either buy these expensive artisanal groceries from the local small guy down the street or you buy these cheap mass-produced groceries from walmart those are like the options but what about the third option which is you know the self-sufficient option of like more people having gardens more people buying wheat (laughs) flour in bulk and making their own bread it's like I think that would be a responsible thing to do if you're, whether you're a small brand or you're a Walmart, encourage that type of behavior and lifestyle and like sell things and offer, you know, like advice and content that teaches people how to be more self-sufficient. And like that way you're both contributing to a more sustainable way of existing and like you're still making money. Yeah, exactly. It's like a, it's a really interesting point because like, there's a lot of like CSR initiatives that like bigger companies do that are like, Oh, we're, you know, we want to show you that we support our communities. Boom. We just donated a million dollars to the Olympics or whatever it is. You like, you know what I mean? Like, but on the other sides of things, you can kind of just be like, you don't need to like show, show the people, uh, show your consumers, that you care and like actually are invested in like these like sustainable efforts by like, to your point, Fanny, providing them with the tools to be able to do that. And that will help change perceptions of a brand. You know what I mean? Like not just like dumping money to an organization. I'm not saying that's necessarily a bad approach either, but I think that'll like a lot of brands will probably change towards being like, okay, like how can we show ourselves as like a bit more human let's get involved with this organization. Sure. But also just like see what people are doing and like try and cater that and say like, Hey, you want to like build your own garden? Mm -hmm. Like here you go. Like here's a a whole content series. How you with Mark Cullen on how you, you know what I mean? I was waiting for that. Oh my God. Wait, sidebar though. Have you guys seen that there's a masterclass? Okay. Can we talk about masterclass? Are you getting, Love the ads. I love them. Let's get Are into you that. getting targeted like every day with 15 different masterclass ads? Yeah. yeah. It's because I I'm, click them though. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm also going back and forth because like one day I want to be a rock star and the other day I want to like, be a chef. Like, I don't know yeah. what to do, masterclass. You're making it hard for me. You can do it all. <laughs> I think it's, I think it's really awesome. And you know what? I think it's a perfect time and, you know, stemming from our last topic there. I think just like it's a really, really interesting way of like a big company to be like, people are going to be home right now. They're, they don't really know what to do. We want to offer like our product to say, you know what, you want to, you know what, you want to be a rock star. 
here's how you learn, uh, you know, guitar from Tom Morello. Like it's like yeah. those things that are like, they're capitalizing on this situation right now in ways that I think will like ultimately be a little bit more sustainable and like educational towards people who like want to find something new to be interested in. I think it's awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What were your thoughts on them, Fanny? Uh, I mean, I just find it interesting from like a personal perspective that the first, when I first saw Masterclass when it came out, whenever that was, I couldn't have been less interested. Like I just thought it was uh, like, I just could, I just did not care no matter who, who was teaching or what the subject was or what it cost. I was just like, I wouldn't even have considered signing up and now I'm like looking through I'm thinking about it I'm like oh this yeah, could be good yeah. I just have the time that I didn't have before or is it or I'm I don't actually know what has driven that shift for me personally and so I'm I'm curious to better understand why my values suddenly have because it's quite dramatic like I'm not exaggerating when I say that before I would not have considered I did not consider it for a second and now I'm genuinely hovering over that learn more button sometimes you know so like yeah yeah i think will that reverse once i'm allowed to go out and see people and do stuff again or not i don't know but i'm interested to find out yeah i think time has a a large aspect of it because before this uh before you joined fanny me and malik were chatting and i was saying that um my routine used to involve this like new netflix show that i was watching but then after right. I ran out of all five seasons and all these other shows, I have like nothing to watch and I'm realizing that I'm not very productive. Like my productivity stemmed on Netflix. And now that I have nothing else on Netflix, it's like there's all this gap. And now that I'm watching these masterclass videos and I'm browsing Coursera and Lynda.com, I'm like, yo, like I'm very close to buying those packages because I don't have, I have the time don't have anything yeah. to do, but I feel like I should be somewhat productive in this time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what the I mean? desire to feel productive. Um, yeah. I totally relate to I've been, um, I've been learning TikTok and it's definitely it's satisfying. <laughs> that. Right. And I'm like actually so grateful because there's no doubt that like for real TikTok requires a tremendous investment of time and, and focus and effort. Like it is not easy. And so I'm like having so much fun with the fact that I can like do that. And I can't, I couldn't have done it in, you know, like if there was anything else to do, it wouldn't, I wouldn't yeah. rationalize it, but I can right. rationalize it. And I'm like so happy about it. How would yeah. you expand on that? Expand like, why is TikTok hard? Like I don't have it personally, but like, what do you mean? Okay. Well, you can obviously use it any way you want. So um, depending on what you're doing with it, but actually I would say for anyone, there's the learning curve of like the software itself and like any new app, but like the, the capabilities when it comes to, (laughs) it comes to editing, like TikTok is is my theory. It's going to breed a generation of like extremely talented videographers and like it already is directors. yeah like it is it is editing software and it's sophisticated so there's a learning curve of like the, the app platform itself and then you know i'm trying to learn all those dances you think that's easy it's that's not the thing. <laughs> doesn't come natural fanny what <laughs> <laughs> no it's it's coming it's coming i got it i'm getting there yeah, yeah. <laughs> my roommate and I straight up choreographed a whole routine 
uh, and you know, once we get better at it, we're gonna post it to a TikTok account. But that's for uh, that's for a later date. I yeah, six months from now, when you finally figure out the three moves, it's it'll no, be no, ready, right? No, they said it was going to take a month for my uh, you know master class to make me into a perfect dancer. So nice, nice. Perfect then. No, but I'd uh, I'd love to talk about entertainment at this point. You know, we're talking about TikTok and, and things like that, but. Um, Malik, you actually messaged me the other day and you said, yo, Travis Scott is performing on Fortnite. Can you tell me about what that experience was like? For a oh, bit? It was a, it was a life changing experience. <laughs> um, no, I thought it was really cool. I mean, I, I'm not going to lie and be completely open and honest guys. Like I play a lot of Fortnite, um, <laughs> especially during this like pandemic, like that's basically yeah. what I've been doing a lot of my time, but, um, they often do like these like events, right? Um, where they like, I don't know, like the, the map will change or like features change or whatever. There's like different themes or whatever, but, um, they announced a a while ago that Travis Scott was going to be doing like a a live concert or something in the video game and he was going to release a new song. So I was like, I'm, I'm going to be playing it anyways. So I might as well go to it. So we went to this concert and it was like this like crazy, like you know, virtual experience where like we were like my character was standing right next to Travis Scott's character. And then this whole show happened where he like the world was all like psychedelic and crazy. It was honestly like a really, really cool experience. It was a ton of fun. Yeah. And I feel like when I heard about that and I read some articles about it, cause I don't, I don't have Fortnite and I saw videos, but I know that obviously virtual reality and they've they've done concerts through video games before. That's not a new concept, but I do think with this whole quarantine situation and post like um, one of my predictions that we talked about last week for things that will go like extinct ish was like that concert experience um, sometimes with, with artists, you know, you're in one building with so many people packed close, close to each other. You know, you're going to be worried about, uh, your, your health at that point. So I feel like a lot of entertainment is going to shift to having that virtual experience. Yeah, Imagine well, if we could all get a head a VR headset and then go to a Travis Scott concert. You well, know how that, cool that would be. Yeah, and like you know, I thought it was really interesting because the way that I see like regular concerts is like I've seen Travis Scott live in person too. So like when I went to this concert. It was like we, you know, we went into the arena, we got to our seats, we had a couple of drinks, and then he started performing, and then that was it. Like when I was in the video game, you know, I was standing next to his character, and I was like, sure. "Wow, I feel," I felt like I was like right beside him, and I thought that that was kind of a cool experience because, like, I felt like I was a part of the show versus just observing it, um, which it was like kind of crazy because like it was all just through a, a video game. Yeah. And I wonder if that's going to like spark a trend um, where more musicians are going to start exploring with those different mediums, you know, bringing that experience to you in your home. Yeah, totally. Any thoughts, Fanny? Yeah, I do think we will like, it's going to accelerate the, um, like our appetite and curiosity for how we can use digital to deliver like immersive entertainment. I don't think the motivation is going to, be so much health. I don't know why, like I could be obviously super wrong, but I think once we cut, like we're going to be traumatized for a bit, but I definitely think we'll get over it. I think Coachella will happen one day again. Like I think concerts will <laughs> ah, definitely happen um, yeah. because it's just 
it's so much fun. <laughs> and like, no matter how immersive a video game concert is, it's not a real concert. This is like a, could open up a whole other debate about virtual reality and like Black Mirror shit. Yeah, yeah. Strong yeah. opinions about that. But what I do think is so interesting is the, and you sort of um, mentioned this with like the being beside his character point. It's like the accessibility of a virtual experience is a million times higher from both a cost and like a just convenience, like all these barriers, like money yeah. and distance are eliminated. So what you have now, like someone who maybe wouldn't pay $75 to go see Travis Scott in person would open up an app, even if it costs money, like if it's five bucks or 10 bucks or whatever, you're going to have a ton more people who would be at that level. And so if more artists are delivering stuff virtually, you're going to, they're going to be able to reach more like broader fan bases. Um, 100%. I think will happen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, sorry, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say that like, you know, I thought it was a really interesting way to incorporate, like, you know, virtual, we're saying that virtual concerts were a thing, but like, I'm, I'm speaking anecdotally here. You know, but I've never really like been interested or taken part in like a virtual concert, nor have I ever like thought I would want to. Yeah. And, and then yeah. when I was just like, oh, I play Fortnite, it's a fun video game, okay, whatever. And like I also listen to Travis Scott. I'm like, wow, this is like a perfect reason for me to like try this out. And even for people who don't necessarily listen to Travis Scott, there and people who just play Fortnite like regularly every day, they're gonna be like okay, well, what, what is this? I'm going to go check it out. Like it just gets it like a massive, massive amount of people to like, at least entertain the idea of, Oh, that, that could be interesting. That could be cool. The other thing too, that the other thing I think that's interesting about the example of Travis Scott is like his, um, aesthetic and sound is really well suited to Fortnite because like, if you just look at the, like, it's almost like they were thinking about Fortnite when they did the visuals for like sicko mode, like it's so like yeah. surreal and um, you know, what's the word maybe like post-apocalyptic, like grunge, like all that type mm-hmm. of stuff. So I feel like it's going to, this whole thing is like pressure on creators and artists to find the right match. Like Travis Scott concert in Fortnite. Cool. But like Britney Spears. I don't know why I thought of Britney Spears, but like another singer. Yeah. Like <laughs> that could maybe work. <laughs> in Fortnite, I don't know. So it makes, it makes you, and like as a, as a comedian, this is super, super real where it's like, suddenly you have the question to ask yourself of like, should I be, cause you can't double down on every platform. So you go, okay, do I tweet my fucking ass off? Do I go on Instagram live? Should I be making more like vlog style stuff for YouTube? Should I just do TikTok? Should I, whatever it is. And so I don't know the, I think it's also going to put pressure for new platforms to emerge like there's quibi which i don't even know what what that's all about yet i haven't looked into Mm -hmm. it but like yeah we might see more and more platforms emerging as opposed to just like the three or four or five that we sort of have now and like they're going to splinter off and be more distinct from each other depending on the style of like art that they best support right and and i want to ask you a little bit about that because you you touched on comedy and i know you do a uh a sunday best comedy show every sunday obviously um, on IG live. And I was wondering, like, first tell me a little bit about like how that's going and maybe what sparked that idea. But also the second question is, do you think that a comedian would ever do 
or if it would ever work if a comedian did like a full a full comedy show on IG Live, you know, like a full stand-up special in a way. <laughs> oh my God, it's so depressing because the answer is like, absolutely not. Like one of the fundamentals mm. that it, all of us understand so well from working with brands and like when you're doing like comms plans for a campaign, let's say, you know, you can't just take the same message and the same creative and the same assets and like smatter them across every channel, right? You have to like yeah. be intentional and you have to adapt. And it's a lot of work to adapt the right, co- the content for the for the channel that it's going to go into, both from a conceptual creative point of view, uh, from a visual point of view, from a specs and tech and like, and like it, it, yeah, like there's a lot involved in that. So I would say it's a nightmare. Um, but the reason <laughs> the reason stand-up is like so affected, I mean, everything, I guess, is affected, live music, live performance of all kinds. But it's like, you guys know, like stand-up comedy is, it is a conversation. It is a live, in-person right. conversation. That's what makes it what it is. So definitely people are being super resourceful, creative, and there's a ton of hilarious content being made by comedians right now um, across like mostly, you know, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, um, YouTube, but, and that's, that's great. And like, that's, you know, that's one way to go, but there is no doubt in my mind that like the, the, you know, stand up, stand up, stand up, stand up, stand up is like, you can't do it without physically being there. So it's kind of just on pause and that's pretty like shitty and sad for, for a lot of people, but I think it'll return. So, so with, with Sunday Best, which we were doing every week, um, at the um, Corner Comedy Club. We just wanted to, a couple things, like we wanted to keep it alive because we have a fan base and, you know, who's coming to the show. So we wanted to make sure that they knew, that we knew that they existed and that, you know, we care about keeping them. Um, we also want to make sure we don't get too rusty, although I'm skeptical that, like, talking into a webcam is going to help me. I think I'm. I think we're all just going to be rusty when we go back to performing on stage and that'll be that'll be what it is we'll deal with it at the time but um the other thing is like it's a fundamentally like different skill to be able to like stream your comedy and so it's nice it's like important to like start to learn those skills I think people who've already been doing more online content more vlogging and shit like that more meme stuff like they already have some of those skills and like for me it's more of a new thing. So I definitely wanted to make sure that I'm starting to learn how to do that because in the future, as we just talked about, like it's probably going to be more important. It's very true. Yeah. hundred uh, percent. And um, we don't actually do the show on IG live anymore. I'm eating. Oh, what did you switch to? <laughs> we, um, so we tried it out. The thing with IG live is you can only have two people on there at once, right? Two accounts. And yeah. we have guests sometimes. And so we actually do it on zoom. Um, the king of oh, all okay. conferencing <laughs> software. So I always feel like I'm going, you know, tonight I'm going to join a little uh, boardroom meeting. Um, <laughs> it works really well for, for what we do it with, do it for it. And then we also stream it onto our Facebook. So if you want to check it out, 7 p.m. every Sunday, go to facebook.com slash the Sunday best comedy. We stream it there. You can watch it live or after the fact. And yeah, would love to, to have more viewers awesome nice love it well i think that's a perfect ending for episode six season two the quarantine edition you know <laughs> uh so i want to thank you so much for 
coming back on the show and, you know, always sharing amazing insights and being a great member of our team. Thank you guys. You're the best. I love it.